It was the summer of 1975 when Kevin finally reached the end of his rope. And he was only 25 years old, but he had grown up his entire childhood hearing from his father that he was worthless, that he would never amount to anything, and that his life had no value. And his dad reinforced those words with hands that showed not love or kindness, but contempt for his son. And at some point, Kevin began to believe that this message that his father was sending was actually true. And so he turned to alcohol and he turned to drugs to try to numb the pain and to try to quiet the voice inside of his head telling him that his father was right. And by the summer of 1975, Kevin had had enough. And so in the middle of the night, he drove a stolen Chevy pickup truck to a secluded location where no one would see and no one would hear what was about to happen. And he turned off the ignition to that truck and he picked up the pistol that was in the seat next to him. And he looked down the barrel of that gun and he heard the voice in his head say, do it. And some of you here this morning know exactly what it's like to be in that place of total desperation, total defeat, feeling like no one knows, no one cares, no one sees you, and what's the point of living anyway? And if that is you, I want you to know there is a reason why God has led you here today. And he is a God who sees you, he is a God who knows you, and he is a God who has the power to change everything in your life for your good and for his glory. This summer, we've been studying the attributes of God. We've talked about his faithfulness. We've talked about his goodness, the fact that he is holy, he is self-sufficient, he is worthy of our praise. And what I hope you'll see this morning is that the Father is great. We're gonna talk about the greatness of God this morning. And I wonder what you think of when you hear that word great. What images come to your mind when you think about greatness? I wanna share a, a few that came to my mind as I considered that word this week. The first one is this. It's Mount Everest. And this mountain is located in Asia on the border of Nepal and Tibet. Uh, Mount Everest stands over 29,000 feet tall. And just for a point of reference, that's about the cruising altitude of a Boeing 737. This mountain is massive. It's the highest mountain in the world. It's the tallest peak in the entire world. Thousands have tried to reach its summit and hundreds have died trying. I think you'd have to agree with me that Mount Everest is indeed a picture of greatness. Here's another one. This is the Amazon River, and it's located in South America. It's considered the largest river in the world by volume. It's nearly 4,000 miles long, and during the wet season, it can be as much as 120 miles wide. Just to let you know, that's about the width of the entire state of Indiana. And uh, so I think the Amazon River is certainly a picture of greatness. Or how about this one? This is the Dubai Tower. And at 2,722 feet tall, it's the tallest structure in the world. It has 57 elevators to access its 163 floors. It's constructed of over 31,000 metric tons of rebar, and it has over 28,000 glass panels on its exterior. Now, how would you like to be the window washer on that building? I mean, would that not be absolutely frightening? But think about the job security, right? Nearly 30,000 windows. And I think you'd have to agree with me that the Dubai Tower is indeed a picture of greatness. 
One more picture of greatness for you this morning. How about this guy? This is uh, Paul Mumaw. This is our lead pastor. Paul uh, stands six foot two and weighs 185 pounds. He graduated something cum laude from Anderson University. He loves jogging and preaching and playing with his dog, Louie. And uh, I think you'd have to agree with me that this too is a picture of greatness. What a guy. Now, as you think about these pictures, you can take that down. It's just going to be distracting at this point. As you think about these pictures, what you come to realize is that there are different ways that we measure greatness. We talk about height and width. We talk about feet and miles. We talk about gallons and IQ and and on and on. And these are the metrics with which we measure greatness. But when we talk about the greatness of the Father, there are a couple of things that we need to understand right off the bat. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. We cannot measure God. We cannot measure God. It's impossible to measure God. How do you measure an infinite being, something with no beginning and no end? His greatness is too much for us to describe. King Solomon understood this as he was preparing to build the temple of the Lord in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles, he says, The temple I am going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. And what Solomon understood was that even in our limited grasp of the enormity of the universe, it's still not enough to contain God. As we continue to push the limits of space and we continue to explore the farther reaches of it, it still falls short of the greatness of God. And so Solomon says, if if the very highest heavens cannot contain him, then how in the world could a temple built by mere human hands? Indeed, it cannot. In his greatness, he cannot be contained. His greatness is unending. He is infinite, and therefore, we cannot measure God. The second truth that we need to understand is this. We will never know all there is to know about God. And let me just say, if you've been around church for a while, uh, and you find yourself satisfied with your knowledge and your understanding of God, uh, if you think you've got him figured out, let me just say, you are worshiping the wrong God. Okay, because God is too great for us to know everything that there is to know about him. We could spend all of eternity, and followers of Jesus will spend all of eternity learning and increasing and ever-growing knowledge of God. Jonathan Edwards was an 18th century uh, Reformed theologian, and he said it this way, speaking of followers of Jesus, he said, their knowledge will increase to eternity. And if their knowledge, doubtless their holiness, for as they increase in the knowledge of God and the works of God, the more they will see of his excellency. And the more they see of his excellency, the more they will love him. And the more they love God, the more delight and happiness will they have in him. Every moment of eternity will be a new revelation of God's goodness and his grace and his holiness and his love. And the result of our ever-increasing knowledge of God will be our ever-increasing love for the Father. And that's what I hope is happening in your heart this summer. If you've been with us as we've been talking about these attributes, attributes of God, uh, I hope that your mind is increasing in knowledge, but I hope that your heart is increasing at the same rate, that you find yourself loving the Father more and more. That's the goal for today, that as we talk about the greatness of God, that our understanding will deepen 
and our love will increase. I want to frame up the Father's greatness by talking about his three omni-qualities. That word omni, it comes from the Latin, and it simply means all. And these omni-qualities are essential to the nature of God. And you need to know that we could spend unlimited time on each one of these qualities, Uh, but I'm going to cover all three of them in about 15 minutes. So uh, the goal isn't to go into great depth, but rather, rather just to give a basic understanding of what these qualities are, and then also to address a common misconception about each of them. We're going to move quickly. I'm going to show you a lot of scripture, so you might want to have your pen ready. But the first omni is this. It's that the Father is omniscient. And if I were to put this into simple terms, I would simply say God is all-knowing. Psalm 139 is probably my favorite place to go to see God's omniscient quality. Verses 1 through 6 say this. They say, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And David affirms in this psalm that God knows everything about us. He knows everything about me. He knows everything about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your intentions. He knows your motivations. Before you even speak a word, he knows it. He knows what you're going to say. God's omniscience means that he perfectly, completely, absolutely knows you. And then in Psalm 147, David tells us that God determines the number of stars, and he calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Listen, we don't even know how many stars are out there. God not only knows how many are out there, he put them there, and he knows them all by name. So we see that God not only knows everything about you and I, but he knows everything about the entire universe. His understanding isn't limited. His understanding is limitless. There is nothing that God doesn't have perfect knowledge of. He has full knowledge, past, present, and future. And here's where uh, the misconception sometimes comes in. Some have argued that to say God is omniscient means that we don't really have free will. If God knows what I'm going to do tomorrow, then that means that I'm not actually free to choose it. If God already knows, then how how is that my free will? And here is the reality. You and I are finite created beings trying to wrap our minds around an infinite creator. And what we often do when we can't understand something is we dumb it down and we bring it to a level that we can understand. Listen to this quote from the book Tough Topics by Sam Storms. It says, but what if the foreknowledge of God and the liberty of the will cannot be fully reconciled by man? Shall we therefore deny a perfection in God to support a liberty in ourselves? Shall we rather fasten ignorance upon God and accuse him of blindness to maintain our liberty? And what he's saying is essentially that if there's something about God that we can't understand, then we'll make him the blind one. We'll make him the ignorant one. And we'll say that that he, he doesn't really have that quality so that we can remain smart in our own eyes. But regardless of our inability to understand how this works, the omniscience of God 
is compatible with the free will of man. The fact that God knows what you will do and say and think, it's compatible with, uh, with your free will. It doesn't violate your free will. It simply means that God's power is greater than our ability to understand it. And you can take comfort in this, that when you come to that place in your life where you hit a wall and you have no idea where to turn, you have no idea what to do, maybe it's in your job or your relationships or parenting, you can know that whatever it is, God's knowledge of the events in your life is absolutely comprehensive. He knows everything about you. He knows it perfectly. And he knows what you need uh, even more fully than you do. The Father is omniscient. The second omni I want to uh, present to you this morning is this one. It's that the Father is omnipresent. And to put this one into simple terms, we'd simply say God is everywhere. God's everywhere. If we go back to Psalm 139 and we pick up where we left off in verse 7, here's what we read. David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And David reminds us here again that God is different than us. He's not like us. He's not limited to time and to space. He is a spirit. God does not have spatial dimensions. He's present at every moment in every point of space. In Proverbs 15.3, we read that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. So God's omnipresence means that he sees everything. His eyes are everywhere. Nothing escapes him. The prophet Jeremiah agrees when we read in Jeremiah 23, 24. He says, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? So here's the, the reality. If you've ever done something and thought, no one knows. No one saw me. I got away with it. Your actions may have escaped human eyes, but the Lord saw in great detail and in very plain view what you did. There is nothing that escapes his presence. And Jeremiah reminds us that there is no place to hide from the Lord. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And that may be a frightening and sobering thought for you, depending on what those secret actions have been. But more so, I hope that you can find comfort in this. To know that when you are at your lowest point and you feel like you don't have a friend in the world, that you can take heart. You can know that God knows you and he is present with you at every single moment. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But here's what God's omnipresence does not mean. God is not a part of the creation. That's a new age thought. New age thought is that God is in the creation. He's part of the creation. And hear me clearly on this. He is not. God is not a part of the creation. God is the creator, not the created. He is over and above his creation. And to think that God is in a tree or in the wind or, or, in, or contained in any other physical boundary or border, that is an incorrect theology. God's omnipresence and his involvement with his creation should not be confused with being a part of the creation. He is active and involved. He is not a part of or contained in creation. So the Father is omniscient, the Father is omnipresent, and finally this one, the Father is omnipotent. And in very simple terms, God is all-powerful. 
Now, I want to start this time with what this does not mean, because I think of uh, a lot of us who have maybe heard these omni qualities before, we've maybe heard them presented in the wrong way. And so let me tell you first what the wrong definition is of omnipotence. The wrong definition would be to say, God can do anything. That is not an accurate definition of God's omnipotence, because we know from Scripture that there most definitely are things that God cannot do. He cannot sin. God cannot even be tempted to sin. God cannot do anything that would deny his character. So we cannot say that God's omnipotence means that he can do anything. He can't. But here's the better definition. This is given by Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology. Wayne says, God is able to do all, that's actually supposed to say, God is able to do all of his holy will. God is able to do all of his holy will. Okay, so Psalm 29 is a great place to see a picture of God's omnipotence. Here's what it says in Psalm 29. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And what David understood when he wrote Psalm 29 was that God's power rules completely. God's power rules over all of creation, the heavens and the earth, the animate and the inanimate, the animals and the humans, all of mankind. God has power over them all. And remember in Genesis chapter 1 that it was with the very voice of God that he created everything. He just spoke the words and things came into existence. That's the kind of power that we're talking about when we talk about God's omnipotence. And here David reminds us that that all-powerful voice of God is still omnipotent. He tells us that with a word from his lips that the earth shakes, the oaks break, and the forest is laid completely bare. I love the way that he says the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. And it's a picture of just unbridled power and strength when the Lord speaks. And with that strength, he rules over absolutely everything. And it's a great reminder today, and I hope it's a, a reminder to you that there is no danger there is no threat, there is no disease, no disaster, and no trouble that God's omnipotent power does not reign over. And you can know that when Paul writes that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him, that he has the power to do it because he is omnipotent. You know, when we think about these three omni-qualities of God, his omni uh, omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. It becomes apparent that God is not like us. He is different. He is separate. He is higher than us. He is set apart. And honestly, it can make you wonder, why would he care about you and me? Why would a God who knows everything that I've ever done, everything I've ever spoken, every thought that I've ever had, uh, why would he still care about me? 
And you know, David wondered that same thing when he wrote in Psalm uh, 8, 4. He says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. God, you are so great. You know everything. You exist everywhere. You're all powerful. Why would you care about me? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever found yourself in that same place? I started this message telling you about a, a pivotal life, a pivotal moment in the life of my friend Kevin Jackson. I'm happy to tell you that the story didn't end the way that it could have. And Kevin agreed to come up here with me this morning and to finish this story uh, for us. Would you welcome my friend Kevin Jacks to the stage right now? Morning, Kevin. You know, uh, Kevin and I met about a month ago, and uh, Kevin, in that first time that we interacted, I was floored by your story and uh, was floored by what the Lord had done in your life. And so I want to say thanks for uh, coming today, coming up here with me, and sharing uh, that, that last piece of your story and what God has done in your life. I left off the story uh, right where you had, had grown up hearing this message from your father that, uh, that you were worthless, that your life had no value. You came to a breaking point that summer, uh, about the age of 25, and uh, you were there in the truck with the gun. And uh, can you kind of fill in some of those details that maybe I missed? What were you feeling in that moment? At, at that point in my life, my life was a total train wreck. The things that I had tried and attempted to become a good person and be a good person, <clears throat> they, they were fruitless. Every, everything I attempted, um, usually it was myself that destroyed it. I, I couldn't keep anything going. And I just continued to get deeper and deeper and deeper into a lost world. And um, I, when I was sitting in that truck, I, I knew that I had come to the end. I, I could not go any further. And um, it, it was uh, probably early in the morning, I'm guessing around 1 o'clock or so, everybody else was gone. But... Um, I, I knew that something had to change, and, and the voices that I was hearing was telling me just to end it, just, just to finish it. Yeah. it. It wasn't worth going on. So there you were, and, uh, and that voice was clear in your head of what are you waiting for, uh, do it. But then something else happened, and a, a different voice came in. Tell us about that. Um, you know, naturally, that's a pretty big event, so your mind thinks a lot. And probably, you know, I can't remember time frames at that period, but maybe a week or maybe a month before, a fellow that I knew from my past and I'd been involved with, and we had dealings which were not good, but he came into my um, place of work and, and told me that um, he witnessed to me. He told me that, you know, he had accepted Jesus Christ, 
and um, that the problems that we have are nothing compared to the power that he has and he invited me to accept Christ and I, I thanked him for his concern and again just like so many other times that had been presented to me I thought I'm, I'm happy for you but he doesn't want me and um, so, you know, as my mind's going through this, then I think um, I, I'm, I'm hearing then a, a, a voice. It wasn't an audible voice, probably in my head or in my heart, I don't know. <clears throat> but now I recognize it was the voice of Christ, and he was saying, you know, try me. You, you've tried everything else in life. Why not try me? You've got nothing else to lose. And um, at, that, at that moment, it was just overpowering. I, I laid the gun down. I, I knelt in the floorboard of the truck. And um, I just told Jesus, if, you know, Jesus, if you're real and you can salvage this life and get me right, please do it because I can't. And uh, yeah, that was the beginning. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I just shared that verse from Psalm 8 where David says, you know, who am I that you even consider me? Who, who is mankind that you would care about us? And you told me you felt that way in that moment too and, and in the days to come. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've just always wondered, even when I was a kid, of course, I never knew how many people were in the world or in America. You know, it's like 600 billion people in the world, and 300 million people in America. And, you know, like I told you, my, we, we only had half a horse. Our, our town was a half horse town. <laughs> but, you know, there's like maybe 10,000 people in that town. And here I am, one insignificant person. And Christ stepped into my life at the very moment that, that there was no other choice. There was no other way to go. And I, I just, it just overwhelms me to think, you know, why, why did you love me so much? I mean, I was really a rotten individual. So, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> One of the coolest parts of your story is what God did in your heart when it uh, comes to your dad. And I, I shared uh, just vague details about what childhood was like, but it was not pleasant. Uh, it was yeah. abusive in some ways. And the reality of Christ in your heart changed that attitude towards your dad. And, and talk about that and talk about what that led to. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a brother that's three years older than me, and... and he, he left home at 16, went in the Marine Corps. And his comment was that the Marine Corps couldn't be any worse than living in our home. And, um, and we, did, we didn't even live with our dad all the time. I mean, my folks were divorced when I was young, so my mother raised us. And, and uh, she's a godly woman. I give her um, all the honor for raising my brother and I. And... and um, all the good things about us. So, uh, I, I always loved my dad. You know, it, it's uh, 
it's difficult. And I got a grandson in this same situation. To love a father that can't return love. To love a father that you look up to, you respect, you love. You know he should be there for you, and he's not. Most of my endeavors with my father left me walking away with dirty hands. And, um, but when I, when I came to Christ, you know, I, I knew that it wasn't so much that I was like him, but at that point in time, he was like me. So I started praying for him, and I didn't quit. And um, about 35 years later, you know, I, I get a phone call, and my dad's all confused. My stepmother puts him on the phone, and I'm thinking, wow, I think maybe he's had a stroke or something. And a neighbor calls me and tells me what's going on. So my wife and I, we talk it over, and I think within two days, maybe three days, something like that, we're on the road, and we go to Florida, and we just want to observe what's going on. Within two days, I knew I had to take him home. He, he had lost it. <clears throat> I, I didn't realize it at the time, and actually it was even after he got back to Indiana, that I found out he was suffering from dementia. Um, he was in the VA getting medication and he was not keeping that straight. He was overusing, you know, hydrocodone and things like that. And it was, it, it was not a roller coaster ride. It was a roller coaster with a rocket hooked onto it. And I, I thought I was going to die getting through it. But long story short, he got off the medications. He was in a nursing home. And I was his caretaker. I, I went in. At, you know, they told me, don't even come around till he asked to see you. And finally he asked to see me, so I went in to see him. And uh, we had a good talk. He had a good, clear day. I thought, well, you know, this, this may not be as bad as we're thinking, you know. But we talked, and we were sitting on his bed, and he says, I'm sorry. Wow. Let's see, that was about uh, 08, 09. So I was 58, 59 years old. I had never in my life heard my dad say he was sorry about anything. And <laughs> I said, well, what are you sorry for, Dad? He says, all this. Being here, Stella gone, everything that's happened, he said, it's all my fault. I mean, I, you could have pushed me over with a feather, as they say. I, I was stunned. <clears throat> so I just prayed to the Lord. I said, Jesus, this, this is an open door. Give me a chance to witness to my father. And hopefully you bring him home with you. So I did. 
I, I had the opportunity to tell him that Jesus Christ, he, he took all of our problems, all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, everything that we've done, he took that upon himself for every human being on the face of the earth. Everyone. It's up to us individually. And this is where your free will comes in. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I accept you. Be my Savior. Be my substitute. And I, I prayed the prayer of salvation. I talked with my dad. And, and he accepted that. He agreed with it. And I, I, I slowly seen, and my, my dad only lived a couple more years, but by the time he passed, he, he was a different man. De dementia was there, but he'd have good days, he'd have bad days. But some days, he was just like the dad that I remember when there were good times. Mm -hmm. And I just thank God and praise God for it. Is that not a cool story? All the way from a dad who never displayed care for you to a heavenly father who cared for you more than you even knew to calling you to care for your earthly father to the point of him receiving Christ. And we just have no idea what the Lord is working for our good and yeah. for our glory, do we? We just need to be obedient in each step of the way. Kevin, undoubtedly, there are some folks here today uh, who feel the way that you felt that night in that truck, and they feel that God is distant, they feel that no one knows, no one sees them, and no one cares. What would you say to that person this morning? Um, you're wrong. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can say that much. I pushed Jesus Christ away for 25 years of my life. I, I watched my mother go to church. I listened to her. You know, I, I had a godly grandmother. I knew, I knew good people. But I just believed that you're either born a good seed or bad seed. And I was obviously born a bad seed. Mm -hmm. And... I, I, I guess I, I was pushing Christ away, you know, like my dad was pushing my brother and I away. But as, as hard as you can push him, you can't push him away. You know, just like you said, God, God is omnipresent. You turn around too fast, you're going to run right into him. <laughs> Flip around the other way, you run into him again. He's right here at this elbow, right here at that elbow. He's, he's all around you. He's, he's everywhere. And not only is he everywhere, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knew me better than I knew myself. I thought I was worthless, no good, couldn't be good. But he saw something that he says that this is, this is one of the guys, one of the girls, one of the people. Uh, this, he's mine. I want him. He would not give up. So if you're feeling as I did, give it up. 
just a, a simple prayer, you know. Lord, save me, and he will. He'll step into your life. I, I've told people for years, I am truly a blessed man. I, I went 40 years stumbling around after accepting Christ. I'm, I'm going to have to say most of the time I tried to live, still live the Christian life on my own. The only, the only thing I had going for me is that Christ had forgiven my sins. He'd saved me. My power still wasn't good enough. And last August, uh, I, had, I had an awakening. I tell people I feel like Moses. I come out of the wilderness after 40 years of stumbling around. And I feel that, you know, God is, had been preparing me all this time. And I'm just ready for the next phase of my life. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us this morning. I wonder uh, if you'd be willing to, to be up here with me after the service, if there's folks who want to talk and, and pray and hear sure. more and maybe share their experience. But would you uh, all thank Kevin Jacks for sharing with us this morning? I love you, man. I appreciate it. You know, to bring this to, the, to a close, I, I hope that you've seen this morning that uh, you know, no matter what you've done, and quite honestly, no matter what's been done to you, because sometimes uh, it falls into that category as well, that God sees you, he knows you, he has the power to change everything in your life. In fact, he has the power to overcome sin and death, and uh, he loves you. John tells us that, that this is how we know what love is. He says, because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so is Jesus' righteousness for your sin, his death for your life, the God who is all-knowing, ever-present, all-powerful. He sees you, he loves you, and he has paid for your sins with the powerful blood of Jesus. And I, I want you to know, if you wanna know more about a relationship with this great God, I would love to talk with you. Kevin's gonna hang out with me, and uh, we would love to talk to you more. But don't go another day living in defeat, living in despair, feeling alone and isolated. Because God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. He has the power to change everything. Father God, we thank you for those truths this morning. Father, we thank you for the fact that you are omnipresent everywhere at every point in time, that you are omniscient. There is nothing that escapes your knowledge, nothing that you cannot know. Father, you know us fully and completely. You know what we need better than we do. And Father, that you are omnipotent that you have the power to do everything that your will determines to do. Father, you are a great God. And if there are folks here today, possibly even myself, Lord, if we have put you into a box and made you smaller than you are, Lord, would you just blow that box wide open this morning? Remind us that you are infinite. We are finite. You are the creator. We are the created. And Lord, you are greater than our small human minds can even imagine. And Father, I pray that our response would just be love and worship and giving you all of the glory that you deserve. We want to do that even now, Father, as we tell you that we love you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.